Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Good morning, family. This morning, we're going to be reading out of Galatians 5, 19 through 6, 2. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. Since we are, no, we, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is the word of God. Let's welcome Charlie Beaver! Thanks, Alex. Kayla, Micah. <laughs> I bring Micah wherever I go, and it's, it's great. Yes. Well, hello, everyone. It's, it's so great to be with you here this morning. I see a lot of familiar faces, and that's exciting. Lots of new faces as well. I don't, maybe, maybe you're not new. I haven't been around for four years, but um, nevertheless, it's good to see you all. Uh, let me start by saying that I deeply love this local expression of Jesus's church. This community has been a tremendous blessing to me and my family over the years, and we are so grateful for the generosity, the encouragement, and the prayers that, that so many of you have sent our way. You, you've truly uh, helped us to continue to move forward at times where it may have been hard to do so. So thank you all. Uh, what I love most about this church is that you are constantly seeking to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the community around you, and you are eagerly willing to let go of everything, to chase after what he has called you to do. And, and whether you know it or not, every single one of you play a role in making this community what it is. Uh, but but I, I think we would all say it's truly a testament of your amazing kingdom-minded staff that you have, have here at the Hope Co. So uh, though many of them are not here with us this morning, um, we're very grateful for them. So uh, speaking of people who aren't here this morning, uh, I have the unique privilege of having Dave Mudd as my youth pastor. Okay? And if you don't believe me, I brought a photo. There it is. Yes, there it is. And uh, you'll, notice, you'll notice he's um, holding a cupcake. Uh, it's because his birthday's tomorrow. I don't know if you, you know that. We won't sing, but uh, nevertheless, happy birthday, Dave. And if you, uh, this is what happens when you don't come to church. So. But those were the days, those uh, really, truly, they were amazing days. They were the days when your youth pastor would take the student worship team, pile them into a creaky old van, and drive them across town to a dive bar to lead worship to a mostly empty room. And, uh, you know, since we're talking about patience today, I, I just thought I'd let you know that if, if you want a master class in patience, don't get into a van with Dave Mudd, okay? <laughs> I don't know if this was his goal, but all of us on, on the student worship team learned a valuable lesson that night, that life is fleeting. <laughs> and you should worship God every day like it could be your last. <laughs> Especially if Dave Mudd's driving you home. Okay. 
Anyway, as Micah mentioned, I'm one of the pastors of a small family of uh, missionally oriented faith communities, or what we call microchurches, in and around the urban core of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And Micah alluded to this. We moved down to Knoxville four years ago. From the start, we didn't really have you know, particular structure or model in mind. All we knew is we wanted to make space for people who would never walk through the doors of a church on Sunday morning. And even in the Bible Belt in Knoxville, Tennessee, there is a, a growing number, a massive number of people who would say they are done with the church and they're never going back. But they'll gather in your living room. They'll gather on the front porch. They'll gather in a workplace or brewery or coffee shop and talk about Jesus, serve their community together, uh, go on this journey of faith together. It's really awesome to see people uh, coming back into vibrant and meaningful relationship with, with Jesus, uh, even though they, they, in a way, swore off church uh, long ago. I'm also uh, involved in, in starting, or, or I am starting, a residency program in Knoxville, Tennessee called TELOS Residency. It's T-E-L-O-S. TELOS is a 10-month leadership and missionary formation residency that helps young people find their place within God's mission and lead the way to a more innovative church that speaks to our changing world. So the residents will come in, they'll spend a year uh, living in, in the inner city of Knoxville, they'll receive a master's degree in strategic leadership through Johnson University. They'll be mentored and trained by local leaders and missional practitioners. And they'll be employed for a year by a nonprofit, a church, or a kingdom-minded business. So we're very excited uh, to launch that. We're in the fundraising stage right now, trying to raise money to, to house all these residents together. Uh, and we'll begin recruiting residents here in the fall to come in in August of 2024. So if you're interested in learning more about that or you know any uh, recent graduates or soon-to-be graduates from, from an undergrad, uh, we would love to connect and maybe Talos is a good fit for them. Sound good? All right. Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about patience. Everyone's favorite, favorite fruit of the Spirit. Uh, let's just pause for a moment and prepare our hearts and minds for what God has for us today. I'll pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that uh, every one of us come into this room uh, bringing things that may keep us from hearing uh, what you have for us. And I pray, God, that we'd be able to, to identify that, or if, if we can't identify that, that you would just, just remove that from us, uh, that we'd be able to uh, breathe deep and know that you are here, that you are working in our hearts, even as we, we don't know it. Father, I pray that anything I might say or, or something that is read in the scripture or sung in worship, or maybe something you just whisper to one of us, uh, any of that would, would be a part of the formation that you are doing in us and make us into the types of people that you desire for us to be, Father. So uh, we don't show up here to check this off our, our weekly to-do list or as an as empty ritual. We show up here because we know that you are here and that you want us to take that next step in our formation to become more like Jesus. So I pray that we each can do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in week four of the Hope Co. series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I love the subtitle of this series, Becoming Like Jesus for the Sake of the World. Becoming like Jesus for the sake of the world. That's really what the Christian life is all about. You know, Jesus is certainly interested in what we believe. However, if it is just head knowledge, if we just believe for the sake of believing, then we miss the point. Jesus is far more interested in who we are becoming. Now, who we are becoming is certainly shaped by our deepest rooted beliefs, but we're fooled into a dangerous space of complacency if we think the Christian life can be boiled down to a few neat and tidy beliefs. I love this quote uh, by Richard Rohr. He writes, If you only think about Jesus, believe Jesus, and believe things about Jesus, not much new is going to happen. 
It is the risk of acting like Jesus that reconfigures your soul. We become like Jesus for the sake of the world, not for the sake of ourselves, not for our own personal claim to righteousness or to make others think we're a really great person, but for the sake of the world, for the sake of those around you, for the sake of your community, for the sake of your neighbor. We could just sit with that for a moment. The Christian life, the journey of discipleship, your walk with Jesus and the fruit that it produces is more for the good of your next door neighbor than it is for you. I don't think we think about our faith in that way very often. Becoming like Jesus for the sake of the world. So we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit listed in Paul's letters to the Galatians. A couple weeks ago, uh, Alex Gowler gave us some insight into what was going on in Galatia as Paul wrote this letter. So I think it's helpful for our conversation today. So I'm just going to summarize it a little bit. Galatia was a Roman province in modern-day Turkey. It was very diverse. It had been shaped from people from all over the known world. So you had this blending of cultures and traditions and religions. And this created some challenges for the church in Galatia, who was seeing all these people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different belief structures, begin to follow Jesus. And as Alex pointed out, one of Paul's primary concerns in his letter to the Galatians was this tension between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, the rest of the Christians, Gentile Christians, as they're often called. In the years following Paul's planting of the church in Galatia, a group of Jewish Christians had come in and said to the Gentile Christians that not only did they have to abandon all their pagan practices and traditions, but they had to actually become Jewish. They had to adopt the Jewish customs and practices in order to truly become a part of God's family. This contradicted what Paul had taught, that simply faith in the person and promise of Jesus was all you needed to be a part of this family and go on this journey of becoming what God intends for you to be. This conflicting message created tension. It created division. It created a hierarchy in the church in Galatia. And it was threatening to destroy the community and undo much of the good kingdom work that had been done. All these Jesus followers who had previously known nothing about God, who had never heard the name of Jesus, but were now walking with him, were being told that they were less than, that they couldn't just be in the family of God, they couldn't just receive God's love, they couldn't become who God intended for them to be, they had to earn it. With that in mind, I want you to notice what Paul does as he lists off these vices in verses 19 through 21, because it seems to me that Paul is leveling the playing field between the Jewish Christians and the the Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. So up on the screen here, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He, he follows that up and says, anyone who participates in these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul lists all these sins, some that would be more characteristic of the pagan or Gentile crowd, things like idolatry, sorcery, pagan rituals, and others that would be more characteristic of the religious Jewish crowd, things like quarreling over customs and traditions, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissension, division. It's almost like Paul's saying to the Jewish crowd, yes, the Gentile Christians have their problems, but what about your anger? What about the dissension and division that you are causing in the church? They may still participate in some of those old pagan practices and traditions, and that needs to be addressed. But what about your anger? What about these things that are tearing the church apart? You know, there there are many different ways that this sinful nature manifests itself in us. And we always tend to focus on the other person, their issues, rather than 
acknowledging and addressing, addressing our own. And the answer to these problems for Paul is not making them more like you. It's not making the Gentile Christians more Jewish. It's all of us becoming more like Jesus. Rejecting the sinful nature, whether it be idol worship, pagan rituals, or dissension and division. And making space for the fruit of the Spirit to go, grow in you. What can't happen is allowing these things, these differences, to separate and divide you. We see here in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia that the kingdom of God, this is something that Paul reiterates in, in all his writings, the kingdom of God is all about uniting people who are radically different from one another. Different stories, different backgrounds, different vices. Whether it be Jesus' disciples, the early church community in Galatia or elsewhere, or the church today, it has always been about bringing people together who would otherwise have nothing to do with one another and uniting them in the person and mission of Jesus. I don't know about you all, but I don't, I don't think this is natural for us. Okay, we like to be with people who look like us, who act like us, who think like us, who speak like us, who see the world in the way that we see it. So just imagine yourself in this community in Galatia that's falling apart. I mean, this is difficult. This is messy. It's, it's hard to see a way forward, and it's going to require something beyond ourselves to see it through. But Paul says, you've, you've already been given what it requires. All this stuff, this mess over here, what you need is what the, fruit is, what the Spirit is doing in you over here. It's the, it's the fruit that the Spirit is producing in you. You need love. You need joy. You need peace. You need patience. Being a part of this sort of community is going to require patience. And that's really, I think, our main takeaway for today. I'll put it up on the screen. Being a part of the diverse, complex, messy kingdom community, this thing right here we call church, requires spirit-empowered patience. If we want this thing to work, if we want to be effective in our community, if we want to re represent Jesus and his kingdom here on earth, patience is essential. So what is patience? Well, I want to begin just with a brief moment of self-reflection. Okay, if it helps you to close your eyes, you can do that. I want you to think of the last time you were impatient. When was the last time you lost your patience? Maybe you got angry, frustrated, you spoke harshly to your spouse or kids or other people who are close to you. Maybe you stonewalled someone, you shut down. When was the last time you lost your patience? Everyone have an example in mind? Okay, for some of us, that wasn't too hard. Happened a couple hours ago. So hold on to that memory. We're going to come back to it in a moment. Patience is an important and consistent theme throughout scripture. It appears in the Bible nearly 70 times, the, the word patience, and is frequently attributed to God. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is most often translated as patience, and it's the word that Paul uses here in Galatians 5, is macrothumia. A macrothumia. Macro meaning large or big, think macro, micro. And thumia, which refers to intense emotion, passion or suffering. The best way to understand this word in the biblical sense is long-suffering. Depending on the translation that you read, you may see long-suffering or forbearance rather than patience. Our English word for patience has similar roots. It's rooted in the Latin word patientia, okay, patientia which refers to one's ability to endure severe suffering. I wanted to put up the, the Webster Dictionary a definition of patience. This is from 1828, so about 200 years ago. This is how Webster's Dictionary defined patience. Patience is the suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, 
or other evils with a calm, unruffled temper, without murmuring or fearfulness. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is not to impress you with my ability to Google words, okay? I want you to bring back that memory of the last time you lost your patience. Okay, we all have a memory of the last time we lost your patience. Whatever it was that you were dealing with, whatever caused you to lose your patience, could it be described like this? If you could put that slide back up there. Could it be described like this? Suffering, affliction, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, evil. Just raise your hand if that's, that's what caused you to lose your patience. Okay, a couple of us. Yeah, some of us. For most of us, what causes impatience is not suffering or pain or calamity, but inconveniences, delays, minor discomforts, annoyances, things not going our way, feeling offended, feeling embarrassed. For me, it's putting pants on a two-year-old who won't sit still. <laughs> if you've ever tried to dress someone who's not participating, it's frustrating. <laughs> but notice that the very definition of the word patience, our very definition for the word has changed. For thousands of years, it was primarily about one's ability to endure severe pain and suffering. Today, it is mainly about our ability to put up with inconvenience and annoyance. We live in a culture that is completely avoidant of pain, completely averse towards suffering. We can hardly withstand the slightest inconvenience, a minor de delay, minimal discomfort. We avoid it at all costs. There's a reason that everyone I've spoken to this week about talking about patience said, oh, that's a really tough one for me. Could we skip that one maybe? I don't know, we can't. Uh, we live in a culture that disciples us towards impatience. We live in a culture that disciples us towards impatience. We are taught to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. We don't know how to endure suffering well, so we avoid it. It's there. We all experience it. It's all around us, yet we find ways to ignore it to minimize it, to numb ourselves to it and pretend like it's not there, rather than to face it, to process it, to learn from it, to grow from it. And here's the issue with that, because we all, I mean, why should we have to feel suffering, right? It's not comfortable. Here's the issue. Over and over again in scripture, it is through suffering that people develop the character of God. It is through suffering that people are most formed in the image of Jesus. If the, Christian of life, if the Christian life is all about who we are becoming, then suffering is the means of our becoming. We need suffering. Dallas Willard writes in The Allure of Gentleness, it is only in the heat of pain and suffering that real human character is forged. One does not develop courage without facing danger, Patience without trials, endurance without suffering, or temperance and honesty without temptations. These are the very things that we treasure most about people. But ask yourself if you would be willing to be devoid of all these virtues. If the answer is no, then don't scorn the means of obtaining them. I love this next line. The gold of human character is dug from torturous minds. It should come as to no surprise that in our time, the time of the great flight from pain, such virtues as these are conspicuous only by their absence. Our ability to suffer well matters because God suffers well. God calls us to be people of patience because he is a God of patience. Just a couple months ago, I was reading, we try to do this every night, I was reading a story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's 
great kids Bible. If you, if you don't have it, you should get it, even if you don't have kids. It's a good one. Uh, we were reading the Exodus story about how God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And after reading it, we always ask the same three questions. What does this story teach us about God? What does this story teach us about humans, about us? And how might God want us to respond to, to this story? How might he want us to live differently because of this story? Now, if you know the story of the Exodus, every time Pharaoh refuses to release the Israelites from slavery, God sends a plague. There ends up being 10 plagues, and they get increasingly severe. So severe that the final plague leads to the death of the oldest son of every Egyptian family. This is a story that I, frankly, would prefer to avoid. Okay? And you can imagine that I was a little nervous when I began to ask my daughter these questions. I, I, I was nervous about what she might take away about God and how it's different from how I want her to think about God. Um, so that's an issue we'll talk about another time. Uh, so I asked her, what does this story teach us about God? And her response surprised me. She said, it teaches us that God is patient. I was like, okay, wow, that's not what I would have said, but that's great. So we continue on with the questions. We get to the final question, the third question. And I asked, okay, what, what does God want us, how does he want us to live differently because of this story? She thinks for a moment. And then she says, well, God gave Pharaoh 10 chances to do the right thing. You only give me three chances to do the right thing. And then she said, you should give me more chances. So it was worse than anything I could have imagined. <laughs> anyway, um... But this is an important question for you to ask yourself. Do you see God as patient? Do you see God as patient? Because I can't say that that would be the first thing to come to my mind when I think about God. We read through the Old Testament, and many of us, myself included, are uncomfortable with the stories of God's judgments, where he seems to lash out in anger. However, it is important to note that while we may not see God as patient, God's people, the, the Israelites, did think God was patient. Patience is one of the characteristics most frequently attributed to God in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, this is the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. It's like the ancient Hebrews, John 3.16. Okay, it's in everything, the Psalms, uh, the, the prophecies, the historical books, this verse in, in one form or another appears over and over again. And it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That phrase, slow to anger, is translated as makrothumia in the Greek version of the Old Testament, long-suffering. Patience. So the idea that we have here in Exodus 34 is the same as what Paul's getting at in Galatians 5. God is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He endures through pain and evil. He is patient. This is the most common way that God's people describe him. Slow to anger. And they were the ones who God was getting angry with most often yet they see him as slow to anger. They see him as patient. It's revealing that we, in the modern Western world, are often surprised and bothered by God's judgment, by the moments where he, he gets angry. Yet the people that he was getting angry with, the people that write the scriptures, were constantly and consistently surprised by his love, his grace, his mercy, his patience. We have this lens through which we view God that causes us to emphasize the relatively rare moments where he displays his anger or judgment and overlook the hundreds and thousands of years that he waited patiently for his people, constantly offering his love and grace to them even though they failed to love him in return. Who are we, the most impatient people to ever walk this earth, to accuse God of being impatient? 
God is portrayed in the Bible as a God of an extraordinary amount of patience. He is a God who endures through suffering and heartbreak, yet he never gives up. He watches as his beloved image bearers commit all sorts of injustice and destruction and evil against his world and against one another, yet his love for all people never runs out. He is patient with us as we each day work to build our own kingdom. He continues to invite us back into working with him to build his. God is a God of patience. This is demonstrated most evidently in the person of Jesus, who willingly gave up his divine power and privilege, as it says in Philippians 2, and and became one of us, born into poverty, spent his childhood as a political refugee, oppressed and persecuted his whole life, Experienced, experienced every trial and temptation that we experience died a death of excruciating pain and suffering and and experienced utter separation from God the Father. Jesus willingly chose a life of suffering so that we may experience life with him. He is the ultimate picture of spirit-empowered patience. Patience is our ability to endure suffering well. Patience is both the way we are formed and evidence of our formation. It is the way that we are made in the image of Christ and the greatest way that we exemplify Christ to the world. And it is essential to our participation in this body of Christ, this this community that we call church. We need patience. It's essential. So what does this look like in us, how should we think about patience or the lack of patience in our lives, and how can we grow in patience? Well, here's what I found most helpful in processing this. This is a concept that comes from trauma-informed therapy. So I'm going to draw this up on the board here. So we all have um, what's called a window of tolerance. We all have a window of tolerance. Our window of tolerance is our ability to cope with the challenges of life and remain emotionally, mentally, physically regulated. Okay? Within this window, you are calm. You are in control. You are attuned to your body and your emotions. Within this window, you are able to respond rather than react to whatever challenges come your way. Once you leave this window, you enter into a state of dysregulation. Dysregulation is, we begin to feel agitated, anxious, angry. Depending on your personality, you might shut down or lose focus. When you are dysregulated, it becomes harder and harder to respond to challenges and stressors. And if you're not able to respond and regulate and enter back into this window of tolerance, you enter into either hypo-reactivity or hyper-reactivity. In these spaces of hypo-reactivity and hyper-reactivity, we are no longer mindful and responsive. We are reactive. Hyper-reactivity is typically characterized by overwhelming anxiousness, Anger, you may lash out or get combative. Hypo-reactivity is when you shut down emotionally and physically. You feel disconnected with yourself and others. You zone out. You pursue numbing activities and may fall into a depression. 
No one chooses to go into these spaces of hypo-reactivity or hyper-reactivity. You, com you feel completely out of control in these places. For some of us, our window of tolerance is so small that the slightest annoyance, the slightest inconvenience, a conflict may cause you to move into a dysregulated, reactive state. Others have a very large window of tolerance and can endure severe hardship and suffering without losing control. So hopefully you can see how this connects to patience. Having patience in the biblical understanding is having a large window of tolerance. It is the ability to endure suffering, afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, evil, while remaining calm, regulated, responsive, in touch with your body and your emotions. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't experience uncomfortable emotions. You can experience sorrow, distress, confusion, anger within the window of tolerance. We can experience the range of emotions in this space, but it's what we do with those emotions that matter. Can we sit with them without losing control? Can we respond rather than react? Do we give ourselves the time and the space that we need to process them well? All that happens within our window of tolerance. So patience is not the absence or avoidance of suffering. It's not the absence or avoidance of uncomfortable emotions. It's not the absence or avoidance of hardship or obstacles. It is our ability to suffer well. It is our ability to endure those things well. Patience is responsive. Impatience is reactive. So a couple of things to think about as the worship team comes back up here. Why are so many of us impatient? Why is our window of tolerance so small? And how can we grow in patience? How can we make our window bigger? Many things can cause our window of tolerance to be small. But uh, since this concept comes from the world of trauma-informed therapy, most of, most of the conversations center around trauma, undealt with trauma in our lives. And for some of us sitting here in this room, that's going to be where we need to start. Okay, if you experienced trauma, even if it was long ago and you thought you're over it, but you are uh, consistently being triggered. You're consistently feeling yourself move into a dysregulated or reactive state. It may be that you still have some things to process and heal from from your trauma, and that's something that's best dealt with with the help of a professional therapist or counselor. I'm a big fan of, of therapy. It's, I think we all need it far more than we actually pursue it. And we have a great Hope Co. Counseling department that can get you started on that. But if that's you, if you think that's you, that, that may be where you need to start in regards to this. But for many of us, our impatience stems from unmanaged stress, overloaded schedules. We live in a culture that values busyness. Busyness means you're important. Busyness means you're Productive. We're led to believe that if we are not busy, if our schedules are not so overloaded, then, then something is wrong with you. But it's not difficult to see how busyness leads to impatience. Our lives are so packed. We are so stressed and on edge that we don't have time for interruptions. We are too important to be inconvenienced. We certainly don't have the margin to sit with and process our suffering. We are moving too fast through life. It's making us irritable, oversensitive, restless, disconnected, unavailable, and anxious. We need to slow down. We need to cut things out. We need to log off our emails, set aside our phone, turn off the TV, make space in your life to be with Jesus. Patience is all about space. 
We need to abide in the vine, as it says in John 15, and allow the Spirit to produce this fruit of patience in us. It's been said every week, okay? We don't, we don't produce this fruit in ourselves. The Spirit does it in us, but the Spirit doesn't force these fruit on us. We need to make the space in our life to grow. It's not going to happen. You're not just going to become more patient. You need to make space. You need margin in your life to grow in these fruit. We desperately need to figure this out. If we want to be the kingdom community that God calls us to be, we need patience. So we need the space to grow in patience. So as we enter into a moment of reflection and worship, I just want to give you a few moments before the the band starts singing. And I want you to ask Jesus this question. Where do I need to make space in my life? Where do I need to make space in my life? We need space to sit in the presence of God, to hear his voice, to be formed and equipped by the Spirit, to endure and grow from times of suffering and hardship. But we need space. Where do I need to make space in my life so I can receive the gift of patience? You can sit with that for a moment.
Lord, those are our prayers, so would you receive them? We want to be like you. We want you to have us, less of us and more in you. And I, I know that there is likely tremendous pain in this room. And some of it can be self-inflicted. Uh, others just a result of no fault of the one who's experiencing the pain. And when we're in pain and we hear the word patience, the question is, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And I, I believe that as, as the church, as Christians, it, it really is the greatest opportunity to witness is not how we respond to seasons of abundance. It's how we respond in seasons of suffering. And so we invite you in to those spaces to, to give us the fruit of your spirit. And maybe we can just, in this moment, ask a question. For whatever we're going through, what are you preparing us for? It might be to have the ability to empathize with as people of hope, empathize with someone who is going through the same thing, who has no hope. To say, I understand, there is hope, there is a savior. And through it all, I pray that we would lean into you, that you would fashion us more into your image every single day. And when people see us, they see you. We love you, it's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for coming. Grace and peace, you are dismissed. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.